0: Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the Gas podcast, hosted at podfeed.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, November 13th, 2022, and this is show 914. Well, Last week, I gave you three articles, two of which were long and very chewy. This week, I thought I'd go easy on you, so we've got four short, easy-to-digest articles, plus security bits with Bart, which is always fun. Before we get into all the fun, I want to remind you to send in your I'm still using it stories. The idea is to try to surface those things in tech that you're still using after many, many years. This is very low pressure. You don't have to do any recording unless you want to. And you can just write a couple of paragraphs about it. I'll be reading these on the show, and my hope is to have enough to cover the time we'll be taking off during Thanksgiving and Christmas So please, look around your office or your house for tech gadgets, maybe it's something in your car, something that seems to still help you after a long time. Or maybe it's a piece of software that still delights you even though it's not the new shiny. I have six stories so far, but I could use a lot more. If you help me out and let me tell your stories, I can have more relaxed holidays and everyone gets full shows with no reruns like other shows do. Send your emails to me at allison at podfeet.com and make sure the title is I'm still using it, and that way my email rules will be able to find it. This week's Chit Chat Across the Pond is an episode of Programming by Stealth because Bart and I are back from summer vacation and we kicked back into gear on PBS. As you may remember, we've been learning all of the tools we need to rewrite, test, and document Bart's password generation library, xkpasswd, moving it from Perl to JavaScript. In order to start the rewrite, we need to understand the structure of the code we're going to write, and instead of writing up long text requirements documents, we're going to be using a standard software diagramming language called UML Diagrams. In particular, Bart is teaching us how to use UML Class Diagrams. I I should say how to create and read and understand them. Bart will probably do most of the diagramming himself as he dusts off decades-old code and tries to remember how he did things, but we do need to learn how to read UML class diagrams ourselves, so it'll be another tool in our tool Not just for this exercise, but for reading anyone else's diagrams. Most podcasts would stick to everyday examples, but not here at the PodFeed podcast. Instead, Bart will teach us some particle physics along the way, and you get that for free with this installment of Programming by Stealth. You can find BART's fabulous tutorial show notes at pbs.bartificer.net, and there's a direct link in the show notes, and of course, you can find Programming by Stealth in your podcatcher of choice. This week, I was very busy being on other people's podcasts as well. I was lucky enough to get to join BART's Let's Talk Apple podcast along with Scott Wilsey. That was really fun because Scott and I have conversed forever online. I mean, he's like a household name in my in my brain here, but we had never met in real life. And yes, we define being on these video shows together as real life, because if we don't, that would say that Bart is not my real life friend, so we know that's not true. Anyway, the three of us had great fun together as we took a measured look at the October Apple News. It's really fun to take that long view rather than, you know, racing to be the first to get opinions out there. Check out Let's Talk Apple in your podcatcher of choice. I also got to join Rob Dunwood and Chris Ashley on the SMR podcast while Rod Simmons was on vacation. I always have fun hanging out with these guys, but this episode was particularly enjoyable. I don't know what it was, but we were laughing, we were debating, we stayed close to on topic, and I could not stop smiling the whole time. There's even a great point in the show where Rob is asking me which iPad he should get, And we basically come to the conclusion that he probably doesn't need an iPad, he needs an M2 MacBook Air. I am still waiting to see if he's gonna pull the trigger and finally get into the Mac world. Anyway, check out the SMR podcast and your podcatcher of choice and look for episode 569, Humane Decommissioning. A few weeks ago, I told you about how I added more USB-C charging ports to my desk setup with a four-port Satechi GAN charger. When I do the live show away from home, I need a lot of USB-C ports then too. I need exactly four. I need to be able to plug in my Logitech C920 webcam, the Logitech Lytra Glow Light, a USB microphone interface, and a portable USB-C display. I like the 15.6-inch copo- Cocoa bar that I got a while ago. Well, my 2016 15-inch MacBook Pro had four USB-C ports. In 2019, I got the 16-inch MacBook Pro. It had four USB-C ports. But the geniuses at Apple removed one of those USB-C ports when they introduced the M1 MacBooks Pro. They replaced the fourth port with a MagSafe charging port instead. On a Mac that hardly ever needs to be charged, that's a big loss. And if I didn't want to use that port, or if I did want to use that port on travel, it forces me to carry an extra proprietary cable to use. And don't even get me started on the HDMI and SD card slots. You know, I ranted about this extensively in 2021, so I will not repeat all that, but I want you to know that I'm still annoyed because I do not have four USB-C ports. My only solution for the live show on the road was to find a USB-C hub that would add more USB-C ports. I was very surprised at how hard it was to find a hub with just USB-C ports, all of the vendors wanted to give me HDMI and microSD and SD and even old-school USB-A ports, which I do not want. They advertised things they had seven ports, but these were not the ports I was looking for. I hunted literally for months. Finally, I found the perfect solution, and again, it's from Satechi. They sell a four-port USB-C hub that also connects via USB-C. This is the perfect solution for me. The hub is a two and a quarter inch square that's only a quarter of an inch thick, which is just barely thick enough to sport two USB-C ports on each of two sides. Coming out of one of the other sides is a permanently connected eight inch long USB-C cable. I like that it has a cable so the hub isn't suspended in the air, stuck to the side of my laptop like some hubs. By having four USB-C ports and connecting via USB-C, I have a net gain of three Useful ports. No silly USB-A ports, no more microSD, and no more HDMI. And I think it's ironic that people around me complain about having to use dongles to use their old-school USB-A devices on Macs built after 2015, and here I am having to buy a dongle to use my new-school USB-C devices. The 4-port USB-C hub from Satechi was $80 when I bought it, but now it's down to $40 even if you don't need it today, you may very well need it someday in the future. I bought mine directly from Satechi, but you can also find it on Amazon for the same $40. I don't know why there aren't more USB-C hubs like this, but Satechi keeps coming through for me. You know that music means it's a tiny tip, but this is really more of a nano tip than a tiny tip, but I still think it's a super useful one. The new iPhones 14 Pro and Pro Max have a feature called Always On. With Always On enabled, when your phone is left unattended for a while or you lock it when you set it down, the screen goes very dim but not off. You can clearly still see the time at the top and any widgets you've enabled. I have the date and the UV index showing on mine. The UV index is something I watch regularly, so I know whether I need sunscreen for my next long-distance walk. You can also see your notifications on the always-on dimmed screen if you've chosen to enable that feature. Now, most people are not reporting that this always-on screen is causing any battery problems, no, no significant depletion. But I know people find things like this worrisome. If you want to, you can turn it off by going into Settings, Display & Brightness, and toggling off the Always-On switch. But my nano tip is that you can have your cake and eat it too. If you like Always-On, but you want to save battery under certain circumstances, simply flip your phone over. Lay it face down instead of face up. The display will go completely dark when you do that. You have temporarily stopped Always-On, but you can have it back by simply flipping the phone face up again. According to Apple's support article explaining the always-on feature, they explain that the, the display also goes completely dark under these circumstances. If you put your iPhone in your pocket or a bag, it'll turn off. Basically, I think if the screen is dark is what they're telling you. If you turn on a sleep focus, it will do, it'll go dark as well. Low power mode will turn it off. You, if you connect your phone to CarPlay, it'll also turn off always-on. If you're using Continuity Camera, the new feature in Ventura that allows you to use your phone as a webcam, it'll turn it off. If you haven't used your phone for a while, your your iPhone starts to learn your activity patterns and it turns the display off and on accordingly, including if you set up an alarm or a sleep schedule. Finally, if your iPhone detects that you moved away from it with a paired Apple Watch, Always On Display will turn on when your Apple Watch is close to your iPhone and turn it off when you get far away. I hope this nano tip lets you enjoy the always-on display now that you know you can save battery when you want to. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world to flip our phones face down when we're in social situations, so maybe that's a win-win. The reviews and explanations I've been doing lately have been pretty meaty, like I said, so it's time for me to give you something completely frivolous. I think you need a Scoot drone to play with inside your house. The Scoot isn't the only drone like this available on the market, but this particular model has a few more tricks than others we've bought. The Scoot drone is a flying saucer-shaped cage about the size of your hand if you had your fingers outstretched. The cage is made of soft plastic that's bendy but still tough, tough enough to hold its form. Stiff enough, I should say. Inside the cage is a quadcopter mechanism to make it fly. When you turn on the tiny little switch, a center dome will glow green and lights on two sides will alternate blinking red and green. Initial calibration is suggested, and you do that by flipping the scoot drone around in your hand a few times, just violently moving it around. After you do that, the center light will blink, telling you that it's in calibration mode, and then you're supposed to set it on a flat surface. Once it calibrates, the center green light will stop flashing and you're ready to fly. To fly the Scoot, you hold it upright in the palm of your hand and just give it a little push up in the air or even just let it drop. Immediately, the rotors will begin to spin and it will start to fly around the room. Fairly soon after launching, it will spin in a circle a couple of times. The Scoot is scanning its environment with a sensor on one side and one on the bottom. This lets it know where objects are that it should avoid, like walls. At this point, the Scoot drone will just fly randomly around the room without hitting anything, and it'll go up and down as it travels. While it's fun to watch the cats get annoyed by this, it's more fun to control the Scoot. If you put your hand next to the side of the drone, it will lean over and fly away from your hand. If you want it to go higher, just get your hand under the drone and it will fly up. If you want the Scoot to stop flying, just catch it and turn it upside down. It's surprisingly easy to catch, so this actually works pretty well. What makes the Scoot drone stand out compared to other tiny indoor drones I've played with is that it can actually do a flip. If you wait until it gets near you and low enough, hold your two hands on near either side of the drone. The drone will let you know that it sensed the command by flickering the center light white. Now brush your hand under the drone and it will fly straight up and then do a controlled flip. It's a bit tricky to get the hang of this trick, and I think that's why it's fun. You have to run around your room trying to get in position to get your hands on either side, and one poor move and it'll fly away from you. I keep forgetting which hand gesture I'm supposed to do, so I get a lot of entertainment out of trying to do this one trick. While we're doing the live show here, Steve is actually actively demonstrating this for the live audience, and I can see him kind of running around in his studio trying to catch it. It's pretty funny. I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. The Scoot Force 1 drone charges with an included proprietary USB-A charger cable, so you can charge it from a USB-A wall charger, power bank, computer, or even one of those USB-A car chargers. As I mentioned, the Scoot Force 1 drone has four propellers inside the semi-flexible cage. This design means even if it bumps into something, the plastic is pretty soft and the blades can't hit anything. For some reason, though, that I can't explain, the Scoot comes with replacement propeller blades. The blades have a twist to them, so there's a diagram showing you where to put the replacement A versus B blades. But what they don't explain is how on earth you'd ever damage one of the blades. I think you'd have to really do some work on it. Now, you might be wondering why I refer to this as an indoor drone. That's because Steve and my grandson Forbes thought it would be fun to fly my previous drone outdoors. Since the Scoot flies by mapping the surrounding floor, walls, and ceiling, and flies around relative to those surfaces, what do you think happened when they flew it outdoors? (laughs) Yep, it flew away. We're pretty sure it landed in our neighbor's pool, but they were too chicken to go ask. If you're looking for an inexpensive gift for someone in your life, or you want to treat yourself to a little silliness, I highly recommend the Scoot Drone Force One for minutes of entertainment till you have to recharge the battery. You can find the Scoot Force One on Amazon for $25. I hear you can let kids play with them too. One of the great joys of doing this podcast is the friends I've made all over the world. One of the great friends I've made from the podcast is Helma from the Netherlands. She's the mastermind behind the creation of the Taming the Terminal book. She's the one who helps me when I'm stuck programming. Recently, Helma was trying to explain to me something in text, something really cool she got for her iPhone 14 Pro, and I didn't understand what it was. So she sent me one. The product is from a company called RingKey, and it's a camera protector for your phone. When I bought my KimGuard iPhone 14 Pro case, it came with a glass screen protector, which I don't use, and a wee tiny protective glass lens cover. I chose not to use the glass lens cover because I figured that Apple had done gone to a great deal of care to design and manufacture the glass on the cameras, and adding a piece of glass that came free with a $20 iPhone case would most likely degrade the images I would capture with my phone. The RingKey camera protector is not a piece of glass that goes over your lenses. It's actually a piece of metal with holes cut out of it for the lenses. And when it's stuck with already attached double-back tape to your phone, it provides a ledge just slightly taller than your lenses. The main purpose of the camera protector is allow you to set your phone down knowing that the lenses cannot be hitting any of the surface. It also looks really cool. The camera protector she got me is a very dark gray aluminum, and it looks beautiful on the phone. I have to say that it seems to accentuate just how big the camera plateau is on the iPhone 14 Pro. It's already big enough, but it it, it accentuates it because it fills in the gap between the lenses. In reality, it only sticks up a couple of millimeters, but somehow it makes the the camera mound look even bigger. You can buy the camera styling Helma sent me for $13 on Amazon. Now, Rinky doesn't just make protection for the iPhone 14 Pro. They make protection for a wide variety of iPhones, Samsung phones, Apple Watches, Pixel phones, OnePlus, and more. They even make protection for foldable phones. I put a link in the show notes to the Rinky website where they list every device they make for any product, and it's a very long list. The main website shows you what they make, but you can't buy anything from that link. And what they actually sell seems to be a subset of what they make. I'll explain to you in a moment why I say that. To buy from Rinky, I'd suggest starting at RinkyStore.com or you can buy from the Rinky store inside Amazon. By the way, it's spelled RING, R I N G K E. I was so enamored with the iPhone camera styling from Rinky that I started poking around on Rinky.com to see what else I might need. My Apple Watch is blue and that's a very pretty color, but it's a tad difficult to find the right watch band to go with that color of blue. A lot of the watch bands I've bought over the years that look great with my unopinionated plain aluminum watches have been gathering dust because they just don't go with that gorgeous blue. When Apple introduced the stainless steel watch, I drooled over it. I really wanted it. I thought that was really pretty. But when I tried it on in the store, I found it way too heavy for my liking. It didn't break my heart that I preferred the aluminum model for the weight at close to half the cost. But I still love the look of the stainless. In my poking around on the very long list of products from Rinky, I found out they have a styling option for the Apple Watch, including stainless steel full-frame styling. The full-frame style comes in two mating pieces to cover both the face and back sides of the Apple Watch. The frame has cutouts for the button and digital crown and leaves the face of the watch open. The back piece is designed to allow you to charge the watch, which would be a silly oversight if it didn't. Now, I was a little worried that since it's actually stainless steel, it might add a lot of weight to my watch, but I checked the specs and the new bezel is thin enough that it doesn't add significant weight. I hopped over to Amazon and I bought the, st- the stylus stainless steel frame for my Apple Watch Series 7, 41mm Apple Watch, for a grand sum of $19. Since the Series 7 and 8 are the same size, this would fit on either model. It's also available at the Rinky store at a link I put in the show notes. When the stainless steel frame arrived, I was originally disappointed. Remember when I said that everything on the Rinky website isn't available on the Rinky store or Amazon? Turns out they don't actually sell the full frame two-piece styling that I just finished describing to you. What I had purchased was just the front bezel styling. Now my fear was that it would look stupid to have my watch be stainless on the top half and the lower half blue. As it turns out, it's not really noticeable at all. From my vantage point, I pretty much only see the stainless steel with a blue digital crown, and it looks beautiful. If someone got close to me enough to me to peer at the side of my watch, they could definitely see that it's not a full stainless watch. But let's face it, it's really all about how it looks to me. The wrinky front bezel styling attaches to the watch with four tiny pieces of very thin double-back tape that are already secured to the bezel. They provided little tabs sticking out, so it's easy to peel off the top layer to expose the sticky part. You pop it on the watch, and you're done. They also included a sheet with four more custom-cut pieces of tape. They said that repeated removal would make it less likely to stick, and I presume that's why you might want a second set of tapes. My plan is to keep it on for a long time if it agrees to stick with me. I've decided to discontinue showering with my watch, just in case that would degrade the stickiness. The bottom line is that for only $19, I feel like I have a brand new watch. I can wear all of my bands again, and I have the stainless look I've always envied, but without the weight. It doesn't look exactly like a stainless steel watch, but it makes me really happy. Check out the Rinky store for fun ideas to make your devices feel new again, or to protect them from harm. Last week, I told you that if you're feeling the pinch of inflation and energy prices and all that, that you shouldn't be contributing to the show. But if you're not in that position and you could afford to, it would really make a big difference to me if you could go to Patreon.com. Wait, no, go to PodFeed.com Patreon and sign up to become a patron of the PodFeed podcast. It helps pay the bills and it's not inexpensive to run this show. So I'd really appreciate it if you'd show your support. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for security bits with Bart Boost Shots. How are you today this week, Bart? After one whole week of your new job. I think it's been two weeks actually. But uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um Did you solve all of the problems? All the security problems? You got it all fixed now? Oh yeah,
1: totally. That's it. Done. Yeah. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I don't know all yet. Right. But anyway, that's that's the joy. What's <laughs>
0: What's uh, what's shaking today?
1: Uh, well, first off, some feedback and follow up. So, wh- when last we met, we were we were preparing for problems the next Tuesday when OpenSSL had promised us an emergency patch to deal with a critical vulnerability. And given the last one of those was Heartbleed, we were all bracing ourselves. And I suggested buying your system in a cup of coffee. Well, on Monday, so the day after we recorded, uh, there was an update to that. Um... We've downgraded it from a critical to important. And the reason is because on further inspection, the vulnerability was hard to actually trigger. So it was real and it was there, but it wasn't easy to actually abuse. Therefore, it became uh, important, but not critical. So that's a good thing. Um, The reason it was hard to use because you had to have a validly signed malicious cert. So as soon as the certificate authorities were told what to look for, that should put an end to that. And you could crash anyone's client with a malicious server, but to crash a server, you would need to have a malicious client who was on a server that used certificate authentication, which I believe our tax office does. But that is like the only time in my life I have used a certificate to authenticate to a website.
0: Hmm, so... Thankfully, I've done the other way around, said, ignore the fact that this doesn't have a certificate.
1: Which Okay, so that is a very different thing. So you know the way you can be offered a username and password? It is possible for the server to say, don't give me a username and password. I want your certificate. And then you have to make sure the certificate is installed and it's really, really secure. But it's a pain Mm -hmm. in the everything. Yeah. So (laughs) very few places do it. Uh, the Matter Standard is officially out. Uh, and I, I thought i had already talked about Yay. this because you and I have talked about it. But that was on literally a different podcast. That was on Let's Talk Apple. So we should say it
0: here. Um, I'm pretty sure you explained it on, uh, on Chit Chat, no?
1: I. If I'm wrong, then I apologize for repeating well, myself. Well, I'll tell
0: you what. No, I know why we didn't. Because I had... Uh, I had, um, uh, Micah? Micah? Why am I blanking on his name? Ah, From the Twit Network. We've had Micah Uh, on to talk about it. Great guy. Micah Sargent. Yeah, he came on and explained it. And that's why you didn't. Yes, and Micah was brilliant. Because we'd just
1: done I really enjoyed Micah's segment. Um, But yeah, it's official. It's out. 190 certified devices. But uh, it's still very new. So two very... uh, Basically, there were lots of links. I found the two most useful and popped them in the show notes if anyone would like to read more.
0: I'm going to pop a link in the show notes here to... uh, Micah, perfect talking about it explain it because it was it was a really good explanation i thought so i agree too yeah
1: i i learned a lot actually from from that conversation very enjoyable uh the other thing then is apple's digital id's continue to roll out uh colorado is now next in or it has now deployed so if you live in colorado and you have a driver's license you can now have your driver's license on your iphone if you like and uh, i believe mm. i heard jeff Gamet say he had done it and that it was really easy and worked very well that was good. Oh, that's cool. So uh, it's actually been a really quiet news news week-wise, week news-wise. <laughs> uh, so I actually have three deep dives for you because what the hey, when we can, you and I like to go in deep on these things. So um, the first one has a fire extinguisher. This was one of those news stories designed to get clicks, but when I dug into it, I found there was a distinct lack of there there. So the the clickbaity headline was Apple tracks users on App Store in breach of app tracking transparency. Like, ooh, this I must read. This is is potentially quite a big deal. So I went and read, and uh, I don't believe the security researchers found anything of note. So the basis for the story was some code analysis they did on an old version of the App Store from two versions of iOS ago. And what they discovered was that Apple do what almost every developer does, which is analytics of how their own app is being used by their own users. So analytics is not exotic. It's not weird. It's it's really important to software engineering because it's used in all sorts of ways. But some of the most common use cases would be if you're not sure the right way to do an interface, you would do something called A-B testing where you would randomly give a percentage of your users one version of the interface and a percentage another. And then the analytics would tell you which users were struggling most, or, you know, basically it would help you decide which was meeting your aims. The other way you use it very heavily would be that if you'd make a change, you need to figure out, did it do what I thought it did? So you can imagine you're having a conversation with your fellow developers and you're like, I think we need to improve this interface because people are finding X thing hard. Why don't we push this change? And then the question a week later should be, did that Make people's lag time less, or you know, did that achieve what we hoped it would achieve? so you're testing whether or not the changes you made actually did what you thought they did right
0: and the other thing is just but if you can't see that yeah, if you can't measure it if you if you can't measure it, then you can't do that exactly and then the other way the other thing
1: you may want to do is just find pain points so just run the analytics and see where in the interface people are getting confused where in the interface people are getting stuck, and then try figure out why so
0: d- can all can all developers do this or can only Apple do this? No, any developer can do
1: it. Um and there are lots and lots of libraries available. So you don't have to invent your own wheel. You would generally, as a developer, pick a library and pop it into your code and then whoosh
0: it off to the App Store. So I I was very disappointed. Um well, no, you weren't disappointed. You were disappointed in, in the uh, in the journalist. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Actually. Yeah. You're right because I don't actually want there to be scandals, but I, it was just I don't know. There was a promise of a big story, and I dug in, and there was no big story. And I was like, oh. But you're right. It's better that there not be a big story. <laughs> um. But I okay. thought it was worth saying why saying this was about app, trapping, app tracking transparency so missed the point because. The problem app tracking transparency solves is not what you do within a specific app, right? In the post-app tracking transparency world, what you do on Facebook is known to Facebook. What you do on Google is known to Google. What you do in any app is known to that app, right? That is true before app tracking transparency and it's true after app tracking transparency. That's not what app tracking transparency was about. It was about cross-app and cross-app tracking, including the web. And it was about asking permission, not preventing.
0: Okay. So to be
1: compliant with app tracking transparency, you're still allowed to track people from app to app if you ask them first. But Apple aren't tracking from app to app. So the whole thing is, it's just not part of the conversation. I don't understand why it was thrown into the mix. And the other thing is this version of the App Store predated app tracking transparency. And they end by saying, and we don't know if Apple still do this, but if they do, it will be terrible. And I'm like, no, it wouldn't. And you're just guessing now. So I, I was cranky. Uh, there we go.
0: Yeah. And if you... Pre- okay, well, that's good to know. Yeah. I It seemed funny, but I didn't dig into what the details behind it were. So that's good. I, uh, that one didn't, didn't seem to make sense. Good. I saved you the bother.
1: Uh, so <laughs> deep dive number two is, I guess, a warning. So I am astonished at how quickly this has happened. But Twitter has descended into wild west of chaos. I am not going to waste my time or yours trying to catalogue everything that's happened in the last week, every U-turn, every rash decision, every ill-thought-out idea, because I'd be wrong before I hit the full stop at the end of the sentence. I have popped a link in the show notes to what I consider to be the best rundown of the train wreck that is Twitter, which is from Platformer, they have a really good detail, but... The key points from my, as far as I'm concerned, are that many, if not most of the important staff who keep Twitter running and safe are gone. So, whether it's half of them or a little bit more than half or a little bit less than half, there's far too many of them gone. So, that's definitely a problem.
0: But I, th- there is one thing we are going to say here. And I, you didn't put it in, but I'll go. Mm-hmm. I'll go back and put it in. Like we said, we were going to. Um, our palate cleanser will be what I think is the funniest. Oh, sugar! The funniest one that happened on Twitter.
1: I do. Yeah. Sorry, I, I did mean to put that in, but it wasn't in. I, yes. Sorry about that. My bad. Um. Yeah. We're definitely not going to. I'm not going to uh, spoil your spoil your fun on that one by saying anything now. Um. The platform article is definitely worth a read. Uh, but the people are gone. There's stuff changing so quickly that I don't think the remaining employees know what's going on because how could they? It seems to be only in Elon's head and it seems to change every five minutes. And then the most important point I think for us the end users is that any sort of badging that may or may not imply any sort of legitimacy has lost all meaning because the meaning has changed so many times this week I can't actually keep track of whether it's a blue tick or a grey tick or if any of them mean anything whatsoever. So as far as I'm concerned You can have fun on Twitter, but do not believe anything of any importance because you have absolutely positively no way of knowing whether it is in any way vaguely connected to reality. It is.
0: Let me say really, really quickly, just in case somebody doesn't know what the the main substantive change was, was there used to be a way... excuse me, to be verified, that was problematic in and of itself, but there was something that you did prove who you were on Twitter and you got a blue check mark. Not everybody got it. Some famous people got it, whatever. There was a whole thing about it. What Elon originally changed it to was pay me eight bucks and you can be verified. Only there wasn't any check to see if you were who you were. And H- hijinks ensued.
1: Yeah, because I wanted to at mention Elon in my complaints and uh, I couldn't because when I searched for at Elon in my Twitter client, it pre-filled 20 different not Elon Musks, all of whom had the name Elon Musk and a blue check mark to say that they were the real Elon Musk. So he appears to have cloned himself.
0: Now, I, I did say hijinks and if you consider Eli Lilly losing $16 billion in valuation because a... I, I, a fake Twitter account tweeted that they made insulin free, uh, caused their valuation to go. To, I mean, I'm that one I'm going to be watching to see who goes to jail. That I is, mean, I don't know. That, I'm sure somebody's got to go to jail for well,
1: that. Well, if that was a pump and dump, if whoever did that profited off it, then you're absolutely right. The SEC would be all over that. It, but what if they didn't? If it wasn't high I don't know if it was a crime.
0: I think it's just, van- I, I, I think it's. Ooh. just vandalism yeah. but vandalism was a crime and you know Elon sold him the gun he didn't pull the trigger oh. literally sold him the gun for 8 dollars that's an interesting point yeah anyway I, I know we said we were going to talk about him but i couldn't i couldn't that Eli Lilly one 16 billion, billion dollars. How you, what's 44
1: divided by 16 how many how many how, how what fraction of a twitter is that <laughs> Actually, I'm asking the person who's terrible at math. That's a terrible idea. But anyway, yeah, it's a shocking amount of money.
0: <laughs> terrible at arithmetic, Bart. Don't, huh? don't say no, it no? incorrectly. I'm quite good at calculus and other things, but no, it's the arithmetic that just blows my mind. Probably better than me at the
1: math part of math. Whereas I'm quite good at the arithmetic, but not the math. Anyway, uh, that brings us to deep dive number three then. The obvious next question is, if I and many others on Twitter are currently going, sinking ship. I believe the analogy I used was a ship without a crew charting a random course through a reef. I think it is only a matter of time until it catastrophically sinks. So obviously I would like to find somewhere else to go and me and half of planet Earth seem to have decided that Mastodon is the place to go. And there are lots of wonderful tutorials all over the web about the user the user interface side of it the you know how you should how you should actually use mastodon because it's not identical to twitter and i've linked to a nice sort of guide that i think is easy to understand um from the people at cult of mac uh, by all means feel free to add any additional links to the house of mastodon that you found helpful alison um but something I haven't seen a lot of focus on is the security considerations of Mastodon because the if you peel back the what you can do the how it's done is very different in how it's designed to something like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram because all of those are single company services So they're effectively, it's one piece of architecture that's holding up the whole service, just like a single website, whereas Mastodon is not. Mastodon is a protocol and there's lots and lots of Mastodon servers. So it's a very, very different structure and that has implications. So, yeah, so I don't want to confuse people and and say that my analogy here is about how it works. It's about, sorry. About the user experience, Uh, my analogy is about how the back end of it hangs together, how the Mastodon protocol
0: hangs together. Let me say one thing. It is not possible to have a conversation about anything about Mastodon without confusing (laughs) one, both, or all of the parties involved. There is not a conversation. I was teaching Steve how to use it, and I said, okay, the only way we're going to do this is if when you yell, this is weird, I get to say, yes. And we move on. It's not my fault if you don't understand it. (laughs) It's
1: weird. That's a fantastic way to go into a conversation. I like that. So, Mastodon is a protocol, not a service. That's probably the first thing to say. And there's lots of ways you can use that protocol. Um, And I guess I should give a context for how I've been using it, just so that you know where my head is at. Um, So I wanted a replacement for Twitter. So I've been choosing to use the subset of features that are possible on Mastodon to be fake Twitter. So I am picking people to follow, viewing what they do, and viewing my mentions, and that is all I am doing. So there are two tabs on my app, one for the people I follow and one for mentions, and that's all I'm doing. And that is my choice to use Mastodon like that. Uh, But there are other things you can do, particularly you can sort of follow communities on Mastodon because there are multiple servers. But anyway, I'm well, getting ahead of
0: myself. No, no, you can't follow communities. You can follow a community. Well, <laughs> technically... Yeah, Bart, I've talked about this at length before we started talking. When you, when you choose a Mastodon server, you are choosing a group of people of hopefully common interests that you might find interesting to talk to. So when I was showing Steve how to use it, I suggested he join Astrodon, which is filled with people talking about astronomy, and that's one of his passions. So that's where he joined. Um, You can join funny ones, you can join whatever, but you only join one, which is kind of the weird part. So you're not a member of a bunch of servers. You have to choose a server to be a member of, and you can leave that server. It's, everything's portable. You can leave, and everybody's all your followers will stay connected to you, but you're only in one server at a time.
1: And you can also choose to completely ignore everyone else on your server.
0: Yeah, Bart has figured out a way how to do that, and I find that very confusing because that's kind of the point of Mastodon is discovery and finding people talking about something that's interesting. But Bart is choosing to do it to look at Twitter... People he's following never looking at what's trending, never following hashtags, uh, not so he's he's not getting the Mastodon experience. He has carved out the piece that makes it like a small piece of Twitter.
1: I'm going to very slightly push back and say, Mastodon allows many experiences, and I've chosen a different one to what you have. But anyway, that's quibbling.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I'm j- but I'm just saying it, it is you've chosen a subset of Twitter to reflect over on a subset of Mastodon. That is actually fair. Cuz a lot of people yeah. follow trending topics. That is fair. They follow hashtags.
1: Yeah, which I never have. And yeah, I've Yeah, I've always started with the real world and then followed people I care about in the real
0: world. Yeah, I don't know how you'll discover anybody new. Oh, at mentions. Cuz you only follow it's you you've put yourself in a box.
1: Well, no, because so I I I have great respect for the opinions of people like John Gruber. So the read the way I discover people is John Gruber introduces me to them. I follow John, John retweets things, therefore I learn about people. So I'm sort of taking the concierge approach. Yeah, as I say, different <laughs> horse. Okay. The point is, these tools are flexible. But the bit everyone else is talking about is the pick, you know, is the user interfacey stuff. Whereas the bit people aren't looking at is the how it hangs together under the hood stuff. And there actually are some privacy and security implications, and this is security bits. So that's the bit I'm trying to that I would like to talk about, since I don't hear others talking about it. That's that's a long setup for where we're trying to get to. So, Mastodon is a protocol and under the hood it sounds complicated because we use very fancy words like Fediverse, which I think they made up. I am familiar with Federation as a concept, but Fediverse? I've heard of universes, I've heard of Federations. What the heck is a Fediverse? Anyway, I, I think they made it up. But we actually already have a service we use every day that is built on a protocol with the same architecture as Mastodon's protocol. So the Mastodon protocol allows you to publish short posts and to subscribe to the posts made by others. To use the user protocol, you need an account on a server and then you can publish your posts to the world and you can subscribe to anyone's posts from any other server. So because it's a publishing platform, it's a bit different to email because anyone on the planet Earth can read your toots. By the way, they call toots instead of tweets now, people, if you're confused by that word. Um, uh, just like you can read the global Twitter feed without being logged in. So you could actually just wander around from server to server reading everyone's toots. I don't think anyone does that, but you could. Um, so email is a protocol that allows you to send messages to each other. And you use an email account on a server, and then you can exchange messages with anyone else with an email account on any other email server. To get Mastodon, you pick a server, you sign up, and then you can send, you can interact with people on any other Mastodon server. Your email address is username at server. Your Mastodon address is username at server.
0: It's actually at username at server,
1: but same thing. Yeah, exactly. So the point is the server is already in there just like it is with email. So with your email, you may or may not realize it, but you actually place a great amount of trust in the server that your email is on. The administrators of your email server can control what emails flow in and out of your account. They can choose to block emails. They can choose to scan those emails and profile you and sell you ads based on those emails, (coughs) Google Gmail. they can, they can choose to do all sorts of nefarious things. You are actually trusting your email service provider quite a lot. And with the Mastodon protocol, the same is true. You are actually trusting your Mastodon server provider with your privacy and that they won't do nasty, nefarious things because you're on their server. So they are, they are physically in the mix here in a way that you just can't avoid. And that may initially sound like, oh my goodness, that's a lot worse than Twitter or Facebook or whatever. But you are actually provide, trusting Facebook and Twitter too, because they're operating a service that you're using. So you're, again, placing complete trust in those other providers. The difference is, if you use Twitter, you can the trust is definitely with Twitter. If you use Facebook, the trust is definitely with Facebook. If you use Mastodon, you get to choose who to trust, which is a luxury we didn't have before. So we haven't lost anything. What we've actually gained is the ability to choose who to trust if we want
0: to, which is a nice difference. So yeah, how do you how do you know though who you can
1: trust? So I I I've picked my server very carefully and I may have spent about a month deciding on where to go because I was like, well, social media is a bit of a mess. I'm hoping Mastodon is the future, so maybe I should do this carefully. So when I went onto the Mastodon website a few weeks ago, I was offered a bunch of different filters for finding a server. And the filter that immediately caught my eye was the filter for server ownership, where you could choose to have it be a, oh, I can't remember the
0: exact phrase to use, but basically a not for profit. I'll tell you, it's public organization, public organization or private individual. But that doesn't tell you whether the public organization is good or bad. Correct.
1: So that is a filter that I then used. The other filter I was interested in was geographic location. Wait, which did you Which did you choose? Uh, public. I, I wanted to be a public organization. And then the next filter okay. that I cared about was the location, because I want to be sure my my server is under the GDPR. So I wanted a public server in Europe. But that obviously doesn't give you the full answer, right? That is like a shortlisting method. So then I went to the about page of the different servers I was considering, and I looked at the
0: rules, because each server... Wait, how did you... Hang on, that that still... That narrows it down to like 30 or 40... No, no, 51 servers on the on the Mastodon sign-up page. Uh, so how did you look for the next level? Well, When I told that I wanted stuff in Europe, I ended up being knocked down to about five.
1: So I wanted... Probably... No,
0: I just did it. It's 51
1: Maybe it only showed me there the top five on the under first general, page. Then
0: seven un- it, it, it showed me a nineteen general. There's nineteen general, seven regional, twelve technology, three on activism, one on gaming, two on LGBTQ. It goes on and on and on.
1: I probably chose general because so, I didn't have any interest in interests. I just wanted a generic server, so I probably filtered by general.
0: Okay, so that narrows it, us down to nineteen, and then. I'm, try- I'm just trying to figure out what would happen next. I, I I get what you're saying, that it'd be great to know this, but I don't see how to know this from what the interface allows us to well, see. Well, the
1: interface allowed me I mean, to get You could a, go into each one. Right, but uh, just looking at the names of them, some of them were obviously nice in general. So I ended up shortlisting it down to three quite easily. It, it didn't take me more than, while well, I was walking at the time. It didn't take me more than 500 meters uh, <laughs> to narrow it. Did you pick the Belgian
0: one? Belgian Privacy Aware Service Provider, Mailo.io. It was on my short
1: list, but, it was, uh, but uh, I, I actually ended up going with a more general one than that. But that was on my short list, and yeah, for that very obvious reason.
0: <laughs> oh, here we go. Official Community of the Belgian Pirate Party, Mastodon.pirateparty.be. Yeah, not quite into the piracy thing. Uh, but once I'd now... Mastodon.uk. Sorry. It's just such a long list still. Okay. I did put some time and effort
1: into it. Because I could, and because I was I was keen to to start better, since we had a chance to start over. How often do you get to start over? Um, so I then, when I had a few servers that looked interesting, I went into the servers, and then my next filter was the rules, right? Because every server gets to publish the rules. So if you believe in the radical free speech thing, you're looking for a server basically with no rules, whereas I was looking for a server with sane rules. And so most of them seem to fall on a very similar spectrum. No racism, none of that stuff. Uh, if you post anything naughty, you have to flag it as being naughty. By naughty, I mean adult. Um, and I, that was sort of the main rules I was seeing
0: on my shortlisted ones. Actually, one of the one of the cool features of Mastodon is you can put CW, which is content warning. And that doesn't necessarily mean naughty. It can be spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones. You can put a CW on that. Um I don't see how to go in and see these servers without logging into them. Like, I just went to this melee.io and I have to apply for an account. Well, I went to the I'm About not page. able to
1: see. So, and the ones I, I was interested in, it was toot.community and mistadun with all the verbs gone dot .community. And I just went to their About page, and they listed the rules. I see. Um, and then I was particularly looking okay. for in the About Us how they're funded, which is why the mistadun with no vowels got my eye, because they're community-funded. They're actually quite clear about where they're getting their money from. They state very clearly they don't sell the data. And they're in Germany, and they actually give you the details of the server. So that sort of ticked my boxes. So I, as soon as I saw that, and... So
0: so how are they funded?
1: A community. So you can choose to... They list like Patreon, and they list the different ways the community can join in. Because okay. it, it's slightly... You know, they're obviously saying, here's how we get our money. By the way, if you'd like to help, here's how we get our money. So to be honest, I think... I'm kind of happy where I am. It seems to be reliable. So I actually think I'm going to become a supporter because then I can feel even better about the security of the server and stuff that, you know, it has a future because it has to be financially viable. Well, it doesn't have to, because like you said, there's a mechanism to move your account, which is a cool feature of the protocol. So if you get all stressed about picking your server and you get it wrong,
0: move. Yeah. The fact that you can move and keep your followers is cool. Mm. Um, I'm I'm still paralyzed on the the server choice from not the security standpoint, but from the standpoint of uh, where am I going to get my discovery? Like I would I originally looked at something called uh, Mastodon dot, or what technology? It was just a general technology one, but the guy running the server before the Twitter started to burn to the ground. Right. Uh, he posted that he had some family emergencies, uh, a health issue in the family, and he's been unable to keep up with it and it's just killing him and he's got to shut it down. So the one that would be the obvious one, I want generic technology. That would be really fun to me. Um, but that doesn't exist. I don't want just an Apple one. I would like a more generic one. I'm on, uh, chaos.social and I don't even know what that is. I just picked it at some (laughs) point. So my discovery is, has been really random. Like I, I, so uh, I posted something and a guy uh, who was not following me, saw what I posted because he was seeing everything in that that uh, server. And I looked at his his uh, t- his mastodon profile. And his face was that that guy in um, uh, oh, shoot, the guy wearing the egger face. You got on an egger suit. You know what I'm talking about from um uh, uh, Will Smith okay everybody's yelling into their things anyway it was a very funny scene in a very funny mo- part of a movie and I, I I followed him based on that and now we're now we're friends on Mas- Mastodon so finding the random connections to people that just tickle your fancy that's that's kind of what you get out of being in a random place like where I am cool uh, one of the th- I don't think that was a good ad
1: <laughs> I, I don't I don't know it sounds very like Twitter to me <laughs> it's just random chaos that's somehow fun um one other thing I did actually want to, to point out is that because there is no, because it's not one organization providing one service, but because it's like a protocol like email, there is no central authority. There is no reported to Mastodon. And that is the swings and a roundabout. Men stage. in Black. Ah, okay. Men Thank in you. Black. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: Gr- pretend there were Sorry. no
1: sequels to that amazing movie, and then you will be very happy because it is an amazing
0: movie. Oh, I loved all of it. Really? Bottom. Loved him. Yeah. I don't remember the second one, but I remember the anyway, third I keep, one that made me cranky. I loved him. Okay. Anyway, I keep interrupting you trying to make your point. Sorry about that. Well, no, I mean, it's, hey, it's what we're all talking about, right? And that's kind of
1: why we're doing a deep dive. So one of the things, there is no central report it to Mastodon, which means there's no organization to do what Elon is failing to do and have a verified buy thing. Which I was initially thinking, oh my God, that's terrible. But then the European Union did something that opened my eyes to a whole different concept of verification. So the EU have created a server. Uh, the address is in the show notes. but it's Basically, it's on their domain for the parliament. And they are. it is the official Mastodon for EU officials. So anyone with an account on that server, mm. just like anyone with an at whitehouse.gov email address, is an officially EU person. So that is actually a way of having verification based on the server, which hadn't even occurred to me that that was a thing because Twitter is just this one server. So there's mm-hmm. a whole world opening up here that I hadn't even considered. So I thought that was fascinating. Um, and, I, I,
0: and and keep in mind, the way Bart chose his server by going through the, um, uh, I forget what it's called, like joinmastodon.com, something, or .org. Uh, yeah, it's joinmastodon.org where he looked at that list of servers. That is not the list of servers. That is the list of servers that they have chosen to put on their website to promote in some way. The number of servers is, is probably 500 times as many as what are listed there. I could make a server right now. Yeah. We could have a podfeed instance. Uh, Twit has a pod feed. It has a, <laughs> Twit has a Twit instance, for example. And that actually might be a good place for me to hang out because that'd be a general technology place to go. I was kind of thinking you actually, yeah, I was sort of thinking that that would be an interesting one. Um, but yeah,
1: so the, the, there is a lot of possibility here. So this protocol, by its open source nature and by its federated nature, is actually very interesting. So there's actually quite a lot of possibility here in the future. So I, for one. I'm going to be very interested to see how this develops, and if the outcome of Elon Musk buying Twitter is that Mastodon takes off and becomes as ubiquitous as email, I think we'll call that a win.
0: Yeah, I don't have any belief that's going to happen, personally. Um, I've been on Mastodon for a couple of years now, um, and it's just too weird. (laughs) I think it's great that it exists. I think it's great people are flocking there. We can go have a place to hang out for a while. Until some – I'm hoping this is the catalyst for something big and good to show up that that is um, – hopefully replaces Facebook too. I mean I mm. want the next big thing and I want it not to be Twitter and not to be Facebook and not to be tracking you and we'll, we'll see whether that – my dream can come true. But in the meantime, it's kind of an interesting exercise to go do it. But everybody listening, go into Mastodon thinking – boy, this is weird because <laughs> it's just gonna take a while. but if you go back in time think about what we thought about Twitter. Well, that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. What do you mean? you can only write 140 characters. What's a tweet? That's a stupid word uh, in Mastodon you toot and you don't retoot though you boost <laughs> So the little double arrow thing but and oddly you can't boost and comment at the same time. Yeah that got me because I you can only boost or you c- you can star it. Yeah, I want to be able to have but my there's
1: two cents about something. The, they do need an equivalent mm-hmm. of quote tweet because I, I want to be able to add value as well as, well as just saying, here, folks, look at this.
0: Yeah, um, there may be a way to link to the message and write something. Well, that's what I'm doing. Fact, that's probably so. Impossible. So I click the
1: share button and say copy, and then I go new toot, and then I say my piece and paste in the link.
0: Yeah, so it, so it does exist. Yeah, it's just a little, it's not right there on the button, that's all. Yeah, and I think the hard thing to remember is that when Twitter came out, there was no concept
1: of at mentions that was invented by the community. There was no concept of hashtags that was invented by the community. So the mastodon we have now may prove in time to be as naive as the Twitter we had on day one of Twitter.
0: What do you mean by naive? As in as as missing
1: in the things that we now take for granted. If you take Twitter and Mm. strip out all the stuff the community
0: added, like Twitter on day one. Oh, like, like ads and retweets. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So if you take Twitter on day one compared to Twitter now, if Mastodon has a similar trajectory, I don't know, it has potential. I I wouldn't bet. I wouldn't bet one or the other, but
0: Mm. I'm intrigued. I don't know. It's it's just really hard to wrap your head around. Let me give a perfect example. Bart and I both put our our, uh, Mastodon uh, addresses into the show notes. Mine is uh, at podfeed at chaos.social. His is at bbushats at (laughs) mastodon with no vowels social. So I click the link to his. We are not following each other yet. And when I click that, it says, with an account on Mastodon, you can follow Bart Bouchats to receive their posts in your home feed. Since Mastodon is decentralized, you can use your existing account hosted by another Mastodon server or compatible platform if you don't have an account on this one. Do you want to do it on this server or a different server? I'm on a different server. So it says, simply copy and paste this URL into the search bar of your favorite app or the web interface where you are signed in. So I can't click a button that says follow. I have to copy this weird link. And now I'm going to go into uh, mastodon.social and uh, somewhere on here, I'm supposed to paste it in. So it's even something as easy as I just want to follow somebody is weird and harder.
1: And I imagine that will sort itself out. Because that's an obvious pain point.
0: It's been there for a long time this way. you know it's, this is this is not a new uh, a new service. Yes, but it has just it's an open source project that has just had an influx
1: of people who are well motivated to make it better. So I'm not saying it is guaranteed to get better, but the possibility is definitely there. And unlike a closed system, energetic nerds with a bee in their bonnet have the ability to change this so it could get better like you know hey i'm not promising anything but i am intrigued
0: yeah i i, I hope so um By the way, uh, my server does not find you using that URL that it told me to copy. So I'm going to try copying it the other way around and see whether I can find you. And now I can find you. So if you use the link in the show notes, you won't be able to follow him. You're going to have to flip it around. So good luck. That's interesting because that is what I got when I hit the export arrow
1: inside the official Twitter app. Yeah, yeah. And it does take you, it
0: takes, if, if you follow that link, Bart, it takes us to you on Mastodon. It absolutely okay, does so that. it is So if you just want to look at Bart, yes, but you're not following him. If you hit the follow button, then you have to know to reverse the words. You need have to know to put in at bibushots at mastodon.social. So I've put both in the show notes. I've put the way it's written, if you want to copy and paste that, or you can click the link and just look at it, but you won't be able to follow him using that. At least the way I just did it just now. But I am now following you. You can try following me and see what I mean. I, I can't multitask. I will follow you when
1: we hang up yeah, this call. Later. <laughs> later. Um, but I'm always <laughs> we'll amazed at anyway, how productive It's you weird. Are. While, while we are recording together, you are productive and I'm struggling desperately to not tie myself
0: in knots on my own stuff. <laughs> so, um, the, the main thing is what you're going to find over a Mastodon is lots and lots of real geeky people because it takes a geeky mind to figure out what this is. I would never in a million years tell my local friends, like human life friends who are much less technical, I would never tell them to even try well, until they ask and beg me to tell them.
1: That's interesting because, so I posted on Twitter to say that I was, I, I didn't say I was sodding off. I said I was uh, hedging my bets. And that I will be here too. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to cross post for a while. Um, oh, mm-hmm. I may not even have a choice. That's what in I'm while. doing. Uh, it may just explode. But anyway, I have a lot of followers who are very non-technical. They're fellow people in this part of Ireland interested in nature. And I take a lot of photographs that involve nature. And so they follow me on Twitter. And they found me on Mastodon.
0: How do you know they're not technical? Well, because
1: I follow their tweets and they're... I've gotten to know them, right? I learned about them through... And they're... They're they regular... They're, regu- they're they're plain folk. They're you know, whatever muggle, muggle. That's the word. That's the non-pejorative because I don't mean it in a I, bad way. I, I just
0: mean it, and they're they're regular folk. They're not nerds. They're muggles. I don't know that you know that, but <laughs> it, it feels that way if they only talk about nature. But uh, well, we've had conversations. You never know right, what else somebody we, knows. You know, we've,
1: we've we discovered each other that way, but we've we have had some fun interactions and stuff on okay, Twitter. I tell you what. You, you uh is your brother technical uh my brother isn't even on on twitter or facebook <laughs> so
0: okay he has managed to be on well WhatsApp. we know your mom's smart I, I dare you to explain it to your mom
1: <laughs> i think her answer would be well why would i want to it doesn't count
0: because he's real technical <laughs> oh no anyway
1: we we shall see how it goes i,
0: I anyway, i'm certainly gonna moving yeah,
1: on I'm, I'm certainly gonna tell people about it and see how i get on i'll be curious to see how i get on
0: yeah Oh, I'm I'm absolutely, I hope you're right, and I'm in there, and I'm playing around, and I'm throwing funny stuff in, and I I am finding, I'm finding stuff that's funny on Twitter and putting it in Mastodon, but, you know. Whatever works. That's how it works, right?
1: I'm sort of taking a glass 51% full approach, so I'm being hopeful and optimistic, and I may be horribly disappointed, but hey,
0: what have we got to lose? Well, forty-nine fifty-one over on the Twitter side. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. So, you know, we shall see. All right. Okay, so moving on to... uh, no. Yes, action alerts, action alerts. Yeah. So it has been a busy time. So Google have patched their seventh zero day in Chrome. So patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Following on from... The-
0: seventh in 2022.
1: Yes. Yes, that's, that's in less than a year. That is in...
0: I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but it was in the notes.
1: Yeah, it's, that's how it's, be. there's a thing that Google is the most vulnerable browser because it's had the most patches. And I'm thinking, I, there's a flaw in your no, thinking there. No, I, I no, do not approve. No, no, so I, we want these. Yeah, exactly. So I, well, we don't want zero day exploits. We want those patches. Yeah, but they're very quick. Uh, Google are amazingly quick at getting stuff patched. So swings and roundabouts. Uh, there was, and this is not so positive. There was a really dangerous lock screen bypass in Android and The details of the bypass and the fix are humdrum. It's a a user found a sequence of steps that causes a race condition that causes the phone to unlock itself when it really, really shouldn't. But the problem is the person tried to tell Google responsibly and they had such a battle to get Google to actually take this seriously that that bit is actually more worrying than the bypass itself, which you can just patch against and that'll be that. Well, I hope you can patch against. Uh, because it's Android and we all know how that goes. Um, It has also been patch Tuesday. Uh, Microsoft were busy. The two Exchange zero days that have been keeping sysadmins all stressed out and having to apply new workarounds every single day have finally been fixed, so there's no more um, playing whack-a-ball on that one. Uh, but there are also four additional zero days for people not running exchange servers. So regular folk have four zero days to go patch as well. So really, patchy, patchy patch patch if you're in Microsoft land,
0: if you're in so does that include for like office 365 users? Uh, I believe there were windows' Just only to do with exchange. Uh, the exchange
1: ones were for people to run their own server. So the exchange ones I wouldn't worry about for our listeners. that was a buyer system in a coffee story.
0: Okay, but there's only one link, so I don't know what else is in there. Is, is it for Office 365? Is it for Windows? So the the updates as a whole are for Windows and stuff. So the two zero days in exchange are for people
1: who are on their in okay. exchange. But the other four are are us are, are regular folks' problems. So we just need to patch all
0: of our Microsoft products. For Windows users or Office 365, which includes Windows and Mac? Everyone. All people who run software on any platform
1: that is by Microsoft. Got you. Okay. Because um, they're rebranding again, I think, it's now becoming some the word office is be anyway, let's not go there. I have I have issues with Microsoft's <laughs> inability to stick to a name. Um my, Apple have also been busy. Uh, if you are running Apple hardware, you should be sure to update to iOS 16.1.1 if you're on the iOS 16 branch or iOS, sorry, iPad OS 16.1.1 or Mac OS 13.0.1 Ventura. Because there are two pretty nasty zero days plugged there. They don't appear to exist in the older operating systems, so it would appear the problem is in in some of the new shiny that Apple sent our way. Then there was a story which initially I didn't quite know what to make of, and I'm still not 100% sure what to make of, but I'll give you the facts. If you're in China, airdrop has changed how it behaves. When you choose to have airdrop work for everyone, that will now work for 10 minutes, and then you have to choose it again. Apple have not given an official reason, but the internet has assumed it is because the Chinese government got cranky that people were using airdrop to send messages the Chinese government didn't want sent. It is also the case that there have been some fairly high profile issues recently with planes doing uh, emergency landings and stuff or refusing to take off because people shared videos of air crashes or pornography in American Airlines through this feature. So this has been a bit of a problem worldwide, not just in China. And according to the latest reporting, this is a beta test and this feature is coming to everyone worldwide shortly. But again, Apple have said nothing. So this is all he said, she said. But it is a it is a fact that in China right now, it's 10 minutes. Apparently, it'll be the same for all of us soon. It may or may not be because the Chinese Communist Party told them to. We just don't know.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Moving on to worthy warnings then. Um, Just in case anyone hasn't heard me say it before that this whole cryptocurrency thing is the Wild West and you should absolutely positively never invest any money that you do not expect to lose because sooner or later you will lose it all. A very major exchange went bankrupt, which means that people with their crypto in that company have lost their money. So it is dangerous. You could lose your shirt, frankly. So be careful. And then... A story I think is a big deal, but unfortunately I can't tell you how big a deal. TransUnion have filed paperwork to say that there was a breach. We know that the breach contained financial information. What we do not know is quite... What is TransUnion? It's a mechanism for sending money, particularly internationally. It's very heavily used by the immigrant community to send money home. Oh, okay. And we know it contained payment information. And some really detailed identity stuff like passport numbers and driver's license numbers and stuff like that. What we don't know is how many people are caught up in this mess. Which strikes me as the kind of thing I would want to know to be able to tell you how many alarm fire this is. Yeah. So I'm afraid to say, apparently, if you're caught up in this, you will get notified. Apparently. If you use TransUnion, definitely keep an eye on the news and try. hopefully more details will emerge. If, if you're a user, keep an eye. Which then brings us to notable news. So, ignoring the fact that Elon is setting Twitter on fire, I am happy to say that other parts of social media are having a good two weeks. So, over on YouTube, they're going to start labeling medical, adv- or sorry, they're going to start giving a badge, oh dear, <laughs> but in a good way, to medical <laughs> professionals so that you can tell that a medical video is by an actual medical professional. So, if you are a registered nurse or doctor, you can get a badge on your YouTube profile to say that you are a medical professional. And so the difference between snake oil salespeople well, that's and actual people you know what they're talking about should be easier to spot. Now, obviously, it's not a panacea because there are people with, a, you know, an MD who are idiots. But there are many, many, many more idiots. You know what
0: would have been cool is if they did this before uh, right. or during the pandemic.
1: Well, true, but hey, I'll take it.
0: Better late than never. Yeah.
1: Meanwhile, the people at LinkedIn have decided, have figured out that they need to do more to make it harder to make fake profiles on LinkedIn. So they're adding the ability to verify your email address. So it won't publish your email address, but your profile will show that Did you have a verified your address. So that will show that there has been a level of verification between you and LinkedIn. And they're exposing the profile creation dates as part of your profile, which means that anyone who just made an account overnight is going to show up really obviously as, I just made this yesterday. So that is actually quite a powerful signal.
0: for something. So Good, simple. good. I like that.
1: Uh, another major news story that is important, but I don't know how, is that one password <laughs> have made a major purchase and uh, they have bought a company called Passage, who specialise in pass keys. So, one password are doing something cool to do with pass keys. No idea what, but I'm sure it's a good thing. Stay tuned.
0: So it, it does appear that they're working on the tools or this company that they bought was a company that makes the tools for other companies to enable passkeys. So it's possible that by one password being the steward of this company, more companies will get passkeys as a as a as a default so that we can really get this thing started because until all of the websites convert over to using passkeys, we don't get to use them. So mm. as an end user you care, but it's not a direct effect, it's a it's a one step removed effect.
1: Yeah. And to see someone of that, true? well, you're definitely correct that that is a problem to be solved and that this company, we're solving that problem and now 1Password own them. So I think you're right to assume that, you know, because 1Password are really making a push for the enterprise because they're they're core... F-
0: the part I really like about it is that they'll also, that helps keep 1Password a viable product as passwords disappear.
1: Precisely.
0: Maybe they'll change the name to One Pass Key, <laughs>
1: <laughs> or as everyone in the office seems to call it, One Pass. Because I think because of Last Pass, they just assume it must be Last Pass or One Pass. Because everyone yeah. everyone is always talking about One Pass this and One Pass that, and part of me dies every time. But anyway, I don't. I don't. Uh, it's like well, at least you're using a password manager. Um. So anyway. Uh, as a sign of the future, I'm just putting a flag on this. I thought it was interesting. So CISA are the, oh, the cyber security. They're a major cyber security part of the American government. They have now released new guidance for American government institutions to say that I'm re- it's really good that you guys have all gone on the two-factor authentication thing. Next problem, we need you to use strong two-factor authentication. We need you to use phishing resistant two-factor authentication, sorry, multi-factor authentication. So the first battle has been won, right? It is now a case that all the major government institutions have to use multi-factor authentication. So now the new battle is use better multi-factor authentication, and one hopes this spreads to the finance industry as well.
0: So this is the, for the love of all things good in this world, stop using SMS message?
1: That is a subset of the message, but probably the shoutiest bit of the message, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay, good. And then the last story I have here is just a, just another reminder that everyone could be targeted by cyber attacks. And you sent me this rather sad story that uh, the ALMA telescope got walloped by a cyber attack and had to go
0: offline for a bit, which made me very sad. That was very sad. Stephen, I uh, visited ALMA uh, a few years ago when we were down in Chile, and uh, they're the ones that were one of the five, I think it was, uh, telescope arrays. That helped take the image of the black hole that everybody remembers seeing with the gold around yes. the globular sort of center. So or the absence of black hole, and it's <laughs> hard to describe. But yeah, that was very sad. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um I just want to point out that in top tips, I have one story in here. So if you have an M-based Mac, so an M1 or an M2, and you have upgraded to Mac OS Ventura, and you have plugged in a USB-C device recently you are on a Thunderbolt device, you may have noticed a new security message. Uh, A way of attacking computers is through devices that the computer trusts on first seeing them. So you can actually buy little devices to hack computers that they look like thumb drives and you plug them in and they hack the computer for you. And so to defend against that now commonly used technique, to be honest, it's used targeted rather than randomly for the obvious reason that you have to get into the person's room or Or, you know, intercept them at a border or something, right? But anyway, the point is, it is a thing that attacking people through the physical port is successful these days. So Apple are getting ahead of the curve here. And if you have a Mac that's capable, then by default, Ventura will pass charge to a strange device, but it will not communicate over the data lines until you agree.
0: So when you plug in a Thunderbolt drive of your own does it ask you do you want to trust this device yeah, the first time so like when you plug an iphone in at the moment interesting yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool I,
1: I think it's very cool and the fact that it will I, charge I, without being trusted is nice
0: yeah i changed the terminology to just call it apple silicon max because when the m3 is out this is probably still true
1: i was, I was tempted to write m star but then i thought that might be too geeky <laughs> yeah, you're right, Apple Silicon. Apple
0: Silicon's yeah. a good way to describe it.
1: <laughs> um, and that's that's kind of it, really. So that then takes us to Wait, the... Wait, no, I get the palate cleanser. takes us to the palate cleanser. I forgot to put in the show notes.
0: Okay, so I think that Chiquita Banana, actually uh, Chiquita won the uh, fake verified accounts uh, game because someone with the name Chiquita Brands and a checkmark tweeted, we've just overthrown the government of Brazil. <laughs> And Chiquita wrote back, we apologize to those who have been served a misleading message from a fake Chiquita account. We have not overthrown a government since 1954.
1: I I just, that was so good. (laughs) And as you were saying it to me, I had just listened to a podcast about Banana Republic. So for me, it it hit home double.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, it brings new new meaning to the phrase "banana republic." I love it. Um, yeah, was- I just thought that was delightful. Own it. In fact, I need to follow Chiquita. They've they I've seen several tweets by them that have been pretty funny. Excellent. I wonder if they're on Mastodon. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck finding figuring that out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the way you'd find out is on their website if they're choosing to publish, is it? Anyway, that is uh, all I got in my show notes, Ellison. So uh, unless there's anything else you want to add, I I think we need to. Tell everyone to stay patched so they stay secure.
0: Well, that is going to wind us up for this week. Did you know you can email me at Podfee.com anytime you like? And guess what you're going to do this week? You are going to email me your I'm still using it stuff. There's tons of stuff I know you're still using. You might have a case or, you know, some kind of gadget, some kind of, even if it's a cable that you just made you happy when you got it because it was red or something, whatever you're still using, just write up a paragraph or two so I can read it on the show and send that to me at Podfee.com with the title, I'm still using it. You can also send in questions, suggestions, uh, dumb questions. We haven't had any of those in a while. You can follow me on Twitter at Podfeet. And on uh, Mastodon, I am at podfeet at chaos.social. And of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. If you want to join in the fun of the conversation, you should definitely join our Slack community over at podfit.com slash Slack. And in there, Yope has been teaching a lot of us how to get started with Mastodon because it's pretty weird, but he's been really helping people out, and it's been a lot of fun in there. So remember, everything good starts with PodFeed.com. You can support the show, podfee.com slash Patreon. Or if you don't like that idea, how about a one-time donation at PodFeed.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to PodFeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.